Hi, and welcome to the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. This podcast is all about me interviewing chainsaw carvers from around the world so that we can all learn from them. In this episode, I get to interview Ryan Villiers from Canada. So let's go ahead and bring him on. All right, I'm here with Ryan. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, thanks. So the first question that I have for you that I ask everybody, how did you get started chainsaw carving? I got started. Uh, there's a TV show up here in Canada called Timber Kings. I assume you guys got it as well. Um, and then they had a spin-off show called Carver Kings. And I saw those guys carving on TV, and I thought, I got to give that a shot. And the rest is history. Went and bought myself a little MS-170 and a dime tip bar. Yeah, and away I went. That's cool. Yeah, I know um, when Carver Kings finally got to Netflix here, my students started telling me about it. I mean, I knew about it, but I had middle school students that were like, oh, Mrs. Wistie, have you seen Carver Kings? <laughs> so that was fun. Oh, yeah, it was cool. It was the most amazing things I have ever seen. I was just enamored with it. I could not get enough. And then every spare moment of my time, when I had my other full-time career, I'd be in my garage, nighttime, weekends, spent all my time in the garage just trying to figure figure out how they do that. Right. Okay, and then, so I saw that you did a large-scale piece of Rambo. I was wondering, how did that come about, and who was it for? Like, what what's its story? Uh, the story is, at, in Hope, British Columbia, they have their chainsaw carving competition every second year. That, and that was in 2019. Anyway, I was at the, conversa- at the competition, and the, one of the council members approached me and asked me if I'd like to do a Rambo carving for the town because that's where Rambo was filmed for the first time, was in Hope, BC. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So big pieces like that, did you get a lot of publicity? Like I saw, I mean, I kind of saw like videos and news articles and, and how does that work with your business? Uh, for that one, I just kind of, leaked little bit of pieces out here and there just on my social media and okay. then it was kind of hidden away from the public i guess so to speak there, there was a bit of hype but not too much it was not till after it was completed and installed that it, it kind of went crazy sure so was there like an unveiling or did it just appear no there was an unveiling they had a because of covid they did their social distancing and unveiling and it was kind of tongue-in-cheek letting it out for people to show up because they didn't want too many people there, but they wanted some people there. So, but there was an official unveiling there. Okay. And I noticed, I don't know if it was, is it on like concrete or what is it on? Yeah. They got a concrete pedestal. So did the, did the city do that or who did that? Yeah, the town did. Um, the, the town actually, but the councils went around and businesses donated for the carving to get commissioned and that's how they paid for it. And that pedestal, from my understanding, was in Main Street, and one of Pete Ryan's carvings, one of the very first ones he ever did for Hope, was on that pedestal. And after many years, it deteriorated, and I guess they took that one off and they refurbished that pedestal, and then they used it for Rambo. Oh wow! Yeah, That's so cool that, that, yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. I, I thought that was a nice touch. I got yeah. to use the same pedestal as Pete Ryan. Yeah, that's an honor, right? <laughs> yeah, that that was pretty cool. Um, so I was, I was checking out your website and I saw that you mentioned stuff about like taxidermy style carvings. What, what parts of taxidermy do you incorporate? Uh, just the eyes for now. Um, 
I'd, I'd like to get into like bears with mouths open and stuff. I'd like to try to do one of those inserts and see if I can mix it in with the wood. But just for now, it's uh, it's eyeballs. And then I, some of my bases, I kind of, uh, I've kind of tried to make an environment out of it. I'll go to Michael's and get shrubs and, and, you know, long grass. And then I'll go in the bush and get some sticks or whatever, make kind of like an environment that they stand on. And then I just try to carve the animal in kind of a fluid motion of some sort. And I try to make it look like, I guess, taxidermy. Yeah. How did you get that idea? Or when did you get that idea? Um, I was inspired kind of by that. In December of 2019, I I went down to California to visit a friend of mine, John Daniels, uh, Daniels Woodland. And they they have a huge business down there doing all kinds of stuff. But he was doing such different stuff with taxidermy stuff. It just inspired me. Like there's a whole different kind of a spin he was putting on these wood carvings. And I went, wow, I got to try some of this. Like, And it was greatly inspired by him. It was just, yeah, the, yeah, the stuff he's doing with, with his wood carving is just out, so outside the box. And I just, I fell in love with it. Cool. I know um, I do some stuff with like decoy carving, like duck decoys and spearing decoys. And sometimes that influences my work a little bit. And I, I want to do some more stuff like that. So that's interesting to hear about the taxidermy idea. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, like it challenges me to make it in my mind. I try to make it like it look, looks like it belongs in that wood carve. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the challenge I, I try to face myself and, and I try to make it as real as I can with the cool. ability I have that, at, at that moment in time. Yeah. And I've been seeing your stuff lately on Facebook and it's, it's looking very realistic. So nice job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, so I see that I was looking at your website again, you do a lot of commission work. How is, how is commission work different from like when you're in competitions? Cause I know you do that too. Uh, greatly, greatly different. Uh, it's, you got to switch gears from commission to, uh, to competition. Um, I find it like commission, obviously you get a lot more time. You can concentrate on detail, you know, stand back, look at it. You don't like that carve that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, and it, you, I, I carve little bits at a time. I usually start from the head and work my way back, like for a statue, like for a human. I'll start at his head. I'll get that all detailed up, and then that way I know where his body should be. Because a lot of time I'll take a lot of wood away from the face because I get frustrated, you know, trying to achieve what my eye sees. Mm-hmm. Now, now you go to competition. Well, there I, it's hard for me to flip a switch, but in that aspect. I try to block the whole subject out, right? And then detail the whole subject. And my biggest problem is letting go of detail. The devil's in the details and I get sucked in so bad. Like I'll get concentrated in one spot and going, I got to move on. It, it's a very hard thing for me to uh, switch on and off in the competition world. Right. So I imagine like kind of what you're saying, like the pacing of it. It's almost like when you're running a race, if you start too slow or too fast. Yeah, yeah, that's right. it's uh yeah you gotta I don't know I it's a mindset for me so you'd almost have to work the whole thing and then go back in detail if you have time which is not how you naturally work yeah that that's right um but before competitions too I'll I'll stay at home and try to plan my competition piece out so when I get there I'm pretty much on the right track of what I need to know and what I have to do versus a commission I just kind of wing it so to speak right yeah, because you have all, you have all that extra time, right? Yeah, I've heard from some of the 
best competitors that you have to plan and almost pre-carve it and just be really prepared if you're going to do well because you can't have surprises no no that, that's right like in uh 2019 i went to chetwin bc in that competition and nervous as anybody would be i, yeah. I actually i did actually practice that piece at home just a, like a quarter scale version a very small version just to yeah. kind of get get an idea of what i had to do and it I'm glad I did it because it helped greatly. Right. I know one time I was planning a piece and it was like a horizontal piece, um, but it had symmetry to it. And I, I started pre-carving it at home and I realized I pretty much had to stand on top of it to to get the work in or like tilt it up weird. And it was just going to be awful. <laughs> so I, was, I was like, abandon that, start over. <laughs> I'm glad that doesn't happen to you. At the comp. <laughs> yeah, plan B, right? <laughs> right. When I, earlier when I was carving, I remember once in a while, like one time I was carving out a canoe or something um, and, and bending over to do it. And Steve Higgins walked over and was like, that's an interesting choice. <laughs> you know, like, that's going to be really hard. <laughs> You're not going to be able to stand up straight tomorrow. Oh, no. Yeah. That was before power gouges. Oh yeah, power gouges are a lifesaver. Those things. Yeah. How how many competitions have you been in? Um, good question. I'm trying to think, to maybe somewhere around ten to twelve. Just thinking quickly. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, I I don't know. I just love competitions. When I first started carving, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before or not, but um. I got invited to a local competition here, but just to do quick carves, like I wasn't actually in the competition. And I'd only made two carvings at that time, and I was so nervous. I, I said no several times, but they twisted my arm. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in there quick carving with my one chainsaw, and the the chain fell off, and I didn't even know how to put it back on. <laughs> I was panicking. I, like, went over to the side, <laughs> panicking, and... Um, I made, but, but I made my best carving in that quick carve comp thing. And I so that I decided I was pretty good under pressure. That's why you got more than one saw. Just throw that, that one away and grab the other one. I know. Point, I can't even tell you. I literally had only made two carvings, and I think I'd thrown them in the woods. I had no business being in this quick carve competition. <laughs> but, oh, I just threw myself in there and it, it went okay, but Yeah, you've got probably oh, more than double competitions under your belt than I do. I'm I'm still pretty fresh new at it, so it's it's always nerve wracking when I go in them. Yeah. I, I think I've been to four of them. That's it. Okay. Yeah. I always get a little nervous. I get worse if I like bit off more than I can chew, like if I did too many attachments or, you know, something. But <laughs> Uh, isn't the human brain funny? Always second guessing. I know one time I had my carving all planned out and I don't think I pre-carved it because I didn't have time, but we were driving out West and I was like telling Eric, my husband, I'm like, I don't think this is the right design. Like I'm panicking. I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, we're going to be there tomorrow. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, there was uh like it, when I went to Chetwin, I had been in one competition two years prior to that, and I was so nervous 
a pawn chat wouldn't feel like that at all. They let you know, I, I might be wrong, but maybe like seven, eight months in advance. I think there was probably over a half a dozen times I just about canceled because I was so nervous. But uh, I've got used to uh, be, be comfortable with being uncomfortable kind of slogan I go by now. Just dive into it and go into it because you never know what comes out on the other side. Because if you don't go, you don't know what would have happened, right? Just do it. That's actually really good advice. I know yeah. some people have said to me, I just had someone say to me yesterday, I couldn't do the things you do. I would be so afraid. And I'm like, I'm afraid all the time. <laughs> oh, me too. I get, I get nervous all the time. I'm just a ball of nerves. I get what you're saying. Yeah. You just got to do it. Yeah. Because you, you will never know if you don't do it, right? You always wonder. Don't be that person who wonders. Just do it. Good, bad, or ugly, or whatever, you know you've done it. I think being on that edge of a little bit of fear is what makes you do things that, you know, you appreciate later. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, who's your biggest critic? Yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I'm the, I am the exact same way. So yep. I'm, always trying, I'm always trying to please my eye, and I haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So it, I think that's what the, what drives a person, right? You just got to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Good advice. Okay. So it it looks like you do a lot of attachments and laminating, like on a pretty large scale. What yes. tips do you have to make that process easier? Um. Well, first of all, like the reason I do it, we, I don't have large lumber around here. So yeah. to make anything substantially large, I got to do a lot of gluing and a lot of pieces. Um, there's really no easy way to do it really. It's just something I've had to do. So I've come accustomed to do it. Yeah. And that's how I'm building my bigger pieces. Uh, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, one piece of advice, like for your flat surfaces, when you join them, get them as flat as you can without, a, without any gaps. And I have a three, I think it's a three and a half inch little hand walk planer and I plane the tops of them. And, and once I'm planing, plane, done planing both flat surfaces, I have a, a 12 inch ruler. And I drag it along the top to see if there's any air gaps perpendicular to each other. I do it both ways. That's a good idea. I've never done that with the ruler. Yeah, I, I do that. Um, and then I'll, I'll drill a hole and I'll put a dowel in it, glue it, and then I'll sink a couple screws in. And when, it, and when it's uh, done drying, I'll pull the screws out and carve it. And if it's a larger piece like the one I just finished today, I'll sink just a few screws in it just for, you know, kind of safekeeping. Okay, and then so do you do you typically have other people around that are helping you hold stuff, or do you have a way to lift things? Or it, yeah, so I do everything myself. It's just me. I have a just kind of a come along. I braced up in my rafters in my garage. Okay. So I have a come along that helps me kind of pick up that that larger pieces, and then yeah, that and ratchet straps. I just kind of maneuver stuff. Uh, big pry bars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you learn to do a lot on your own. Little, uh, sometimes I'll throw skids in the ground and I'll get the log up on the skid to get a little higher to a point that I need, like if it's a heavy piece and I yeah. can't use my come along. So it's a lot closer to where I need. Then sometimes I can slide a bottle jack underneath and jack the piece up and squeeze it in. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, so you, I, we talked earlier about your stuff's looking so realistic. How do you get your proportions correct? Do you use stencils at all, or do you have any other tricks? Uh, for competitions, I use stencils. I'll go in my garage door, and I'll do it just for quick stuff, right? Competition, you get a stencil, and then I spray paint my stencils on my competition pieces at home. 
for my for my proportions on my commission pieces, I'll usually scale them out. Like if it's uh, human anatomy, I'll scale scale them out actually for my body. Um, Rambo, he's like his limbs and legs. I, I scaled him out to me, minus all his muscles. That's cool. <laughs> and, and yeah, and then and then I just go up from there, and then I'll uh, try to find out mathematically what the scale is. Like the one I'm working or finished today, Harry, he's just a little over eight feet tall. I'll just figure out scale wise per the inch, and then I'll go from there. Okay. Okay. So, do you have any tips for getting really fine detail, whether it be tools or methods or anything? Uh yeah. Like for uh, fur example, I've got I think three or four stages how I do my fur. I'll cut it with a big saw, just the shapes, and then I'll cut I'll cut off the edges, and then I'll rake my dime tip along, and then I'll take a what's the third step? My grinder and I have a, wheel, a wire wheel on it, and I'll take that and I'll I'll smooth off the edges to get that soft look, and then on my die grinder I've just kind of got a homemade homemade little piece that kind of looks like a table saw blade. I made out of a washer and welded it, welded it onto a quarter-inch bolt, and then I just cut some slits in there, and then I use that, and I do repetitive motions, scraping motions down the fur to get the fine stuff, and then after that, one more step is I'll, I'll uh, take a, a softer wire wheel and, and soften that up, and so what that does at the end is when I'm done staining and painting, and then to get those pieces to pop out, I, I do a lot of dry brushing with lighter paint, and and all that fine-looking scrapes, it'll just pop and looks like hair. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's it's not an easy. It takes patience. <laughs> it tries my patience, but in the end, it's worth it for me. Yeah, it sounded like when I'm when I'm listening, I'm thinking about like when people quick carve fur. It's just like rare and it's just on there, one step. So I can't imagine fur with I don't even know how many steps you just said, but. It sounds like a lot of work, but it definitely looks like it pays off. Yeah, thanks. I, I, I do a lot of experimenting with all, all, any tool I have. I don't go out and buy specialty tools, really. I just use with what I have, and I'll just experiment and try different techniques and find out sure. what works and what doesn't. Yeah, and what you said about the dry brushing, I mean, it's it's incredible. Um, I do some dry brushing, too. Like, if you get, like, a darker base and then dry brush on top, it's so cool the stuff that it pulls out of it. Yeah, because all the 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 high lying parts of the wood, right, is onto those pieces of wood. Yeah. While stuff below is dark, yeah, it's just and it's a real quick, easy process. And when you stand back, it just makes it pop. Yeah. It, it's really cool technique, and for me, it adds a lot to uh, to a project. I I do some dry brushing on some fish that I make to like pull out the textures and one time I sanded the fish way too much and I went to dry brush it and the magic wasn't happening <laughs> it was just I sanded it. Dang it. yeah I, I do a lot of uh airbrushing too yeah I saw that yeah the airbrushing looks really cool do you, what what airbrush do you have uh just we have a hardware store kind of it's called Canadian Tire up here it's just a it's called a Mastercraft airbrush unit it's it's cheap it, it's crap, but it works. Yeah. I abuse, they get abused, so I don't go buy the really expensive ones. All I use is spray paints. Like I'll just in the little vials. I'll that's how I mix my paint. I'll just spray paint in there with one color and spray paint in there with another color, and I just mix my colors like that. It's messy as hell. But Wait, like you spray spray paint into the airbrush? It, into the vials, yeah. The glass vials the airbrush hooks up to. That's how I do it. 
Oh, wow. I don't think I've ever heard anybody do that. I think I'm the only one. (laughs) (laughs) Not anymore. (laughs) Oh, it's a mess. It's a complete mess, but I I make it work. Small acrylic stuff like you get from Michael's. Yeah. That stuff is so expensive. I find it way too expensive. So, yeah, that's, I just, I started doing that, mixing it like that. That's the way I go. How does the airbrush, does it clog a lot with that or not? Yeah, it, it does. You can't leave it too long. Sometimes I'll mix Varsol a little bit in, in with it. Or if I don't have that, if I got diesel or gas, I'll just do that as well. Okay. Whatever, whatever I have. A little, little, little thinner's better. Right. And not that the acrylic doesn't. I mean, most of the paint that I run through airbrushes, unless it's oil-based, usually clogs it. Yeah. Oil-based uh, is yeah. the only thing that doesn't clog it. <laughs> Yeah, today I ran into big problems with my airbrush. Probably, yeah, probably darn near an hour's worth of airbrush clogs. <laughs> it was, it was, oh, a, I know. It, it's frustrating when it does that. Eh? I, I always ask about tips for keeping them unclogged because when you have to take the whole thing apart, it just takes forever and then you put it back <laughs> together and it still doesn't work. I'd say buy, buy multiple airbrushes, just throw it away. It'd be quick. <laughs> <laughs> Good tip. A little pricey, but <laughs> yeah. Okay, what advice do you have for new carvers about anything like carving, safety, selling, anything? Um, Well, safety-wise, do not take your PPE for granted. It takes a split second. If you've got something that's going to take you maybe, let's say, 30 seconds to do, and you say, ah, I don't need these, like my chaps, I don't need my chaps. It takes that one split second to make that wrong false move for you to ruin your career wear your ppe every single time don't just say ah screw it i've I've got this to do it won't take long Uh, second just when i started out like all these carvers i was seeing and looking at going wow how the hell they do that i tried to mimic what they were doing so i would mess around with the tools and my saws and try to like for fur patterns try to figure out myself how how they achieve what they achieve just experiment experiment a lot yeah, no, that's a good point. I even do that with my students. Like, like eventually you want to get to your own creativity, but at first I encourage them to copy other artists to yeah, try to ab- that figure it out. Yeah, and eventually you'll you'll get your own style. Like, yeah. All of a sudden that goes away, and then all of a sudden you yeah you start forming into your own style. It's a it it, it it's a pretty neat evolution. Cool. Yeah. Good advice. All right. Well, that's all the questions I have for you. Is there anything that I should have asked that I didn't? Uh, not that I can think of. I appreciate you being on. Well, thank you very much for having me. This was this was fun. I enjoyed this. Good. People will be excited to hear from you, I'm sure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. If you liked the podcast, be sure and, and check out our other episodes. And if you could like it, Share it and give us a rating. It'll help other carvers find the podcast.